Let's pray. Lord, thanks for your love and your grace and your mercy. And Lord, we want to hear from you now. And so uh, we love your word. We love you. And we want to serve you. We want to be your children. We want to be um, led by you. And so, Lord, please lead us and guide us. Instruct us by your Holy Spirit through your word today, as only you can do for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, if you would, while I'm uh, introing, uh, flip to your Bibles, Daniel chapter 9. And um, you may know, last week we finished Lamentations. And we went through Jeremiah and Lamentations. We do uh, an Old Testament chunk and then a New Testament chunk, and we're kind of marching our way through the Scriptures. And so uh, the next chunk after uh, Lamentations is going to be First and Second Thessalonians. And so it just so happened, as it always just so happens, that um, in between there... Um, you know, I usually do, uh, I usually kind of pause and talk about Easter on Easter Sunday, but then we finished Lamentations last week and not this week, so there's an extra week in there, and so I thought, as I was praying about it, I thought, okay, if you'll forgive me for not marching chapter by chapter, verse by verse in order, if you'll let me do that for two weeks, I'd like to talk about Palm Sunday today. Is that fair? Okay, good. It's very agreeable, and... Uh, I did something last week that was really stupid. I got my tractor stuck. Amen. Amen. Okay, I was just seeing, seeing, if, you're, seeing if you're really still agreeable. So, um, but anyway, here's, what I'm, here's where I'm at on this. So, we finished Jeremiah and Lamentations. We're going to go to Thessalonians, and then we're going to go back to, after Thessalonians, Ezekiel. So, we're getting into some prophecy vibe going on, right? That's point number one. Point number two is the whole world's in prophecy vibe right now, yeah. right? Yeah. That's just the reality of, of the times that we live in. And, and so I, I think that it would be good to talk about that a little bit today in the context of Palm Sunday, all right? And so here's why I see this. Um, I think it's important some, some have estimated that like 26% of the Bible, something like that, is prophetic. And yet, the church I grew up in, uh, frankly, ignored that. Okay? I grew up in a... I, I'm thankful to the Lord. I'm thankful to my parents that I grew up in a church that taught me that God loves me, taught me uh, a beautiful foundation, and I am forever grateful for that. But... I never really learned the Bible, and I never really learned about the power of the Holy Spirit uh, until uh, 1992 when we, you've heard the story. We went to Horizon Christian Fellowship up in Indianapolis, and, uh, and for me, it, it changed my life. And so I'm now uh, forever indebted to uh, this idea of, of teaching the Word and affirming the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, simple as that. But anyway, a part of that is prophecy. Okay, part of the word is prophecy. A big part of the word is prophecy. And here's how I see it like this. You know when you start to put together a puzzle? You ever build a puzzle? 
okay? We'll say it's got 500 pieces, and, uh, or maybe 1,000, a big one, okay? okay? And you start to put it together. What do you do first? The edges. You find four corners, and then you find the rest of the straight pieces, right? Edge, right? You build, the, you build that. Can you tell what it, the puzzle's about? If you didn't have the lid of the, of the puzzle, can you tell what the puzzle is? Not really, not really. And then you find, let's say it's 500 pieces, you've found the first 100 of them. Fair enough? You can kind of tell, is this a puzzle of like a cat, which I don't know why they make those things, but they do. (laughs) Or like some European castle or some landscape or some like classical painting, right? After the first 100 pieces, you can kind of tell if it's one of those, right? Let's say it's the Mona Lisa, right? After the first, like, 300 paintings, 300 pieces of the 500, you can tell that it looks like this is going to turn out to be, I don't know, maybe the Mona Lisa, right? After about 400 pieces, you can tell, yep, she's got that look on her face, (laughs) right? And as the pieces kind of come together, you can start to see what's going on. I think that's how prophecy is. Is that fair enough? And so I think we need to see, you know, we see pieces of the puzzle put together when we read the scripture. We read pieces, we see pieces of the puzzle when we read the news. And we kind of think, you know, those kind of fit together, right? And even as we read, you know, even as you're doing a puzzle, you know, you might have a piece that kind of fits and, you know, you kind of, you can make it fit like that, right? But that's not really the right piece. And so as these pieces come together, you know, we're open for the Lord to kind of modify, you know, no, that's not quite the right piece. Maybe it fits together a different way. But we see these things come together. And I think Palm Sunday presents a beautiful opportunity to discuss some of this puzzle. Is that fair enough? So that's where I'm at on this. So you've heard me say a million times before. And uh, if you're new, um, you've not. And so, but... There are two ways to look at prophecy. I I think, I break it down in in my mind two ways. Number one, prophecy is fulfilled as literally as possible whenever possible. Or number two, it's all like allegory, metaphor, something means this and something means this. And we really can't really even try to put all the pieces together because it just, it's all a big, it's all a big allegory. So why try, right? Now, when Jesus came the first time, we know from history, he was born of a virgin. Was that prophesied? Yes. Yes. He was born in Bethlehem. Was that prophesied? Yes. Like an allegory or like literally? Very literally. Very literally. And I think there's a very uh, cool part of this very literal understanding of prophecy that happened on Palm Sunday. And uh, I was taught this, uh, I've been taught this over the years uh, from people that are honestly a lot smarter than I am about this. But there's a beautiful, beautiful story here in Daniel chapter 9 that we see as a part of God's sovereign plan. Nate alluded to it on Wednesday night. And uh, so here we go. All right. And I believe that after we, my hope is by the end of today, we'll see a much more clear picture of the puzzle. Fair enough? And then that equips us to go into Thessalonians, and then that equips us to go into Ezekiel, and we have sort of a grid that we can start to 
kind of work with here, all right? And so that's kind of the purpose of all this. So it starts out, Daniel uh, starts out here in chapter 9, verse 1. He says, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books of the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Okay, we need to pause there for a second. So the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, this would have been around 539 BC. Okay? Now Daniel, you may recall, just brief history back, back up, uh, the nation of Judah, the remnant of the Jewish people uh, in the 6th century BC, had become so sinful in their, in their practices that the Lord was going to deal with them. And yet the Lord had promised all along that the Messiah was going to be a descendant of David. So how do you, so it's not like he could wipe them out. He had to preserve a remnant, right? And so what he did is uh, he brought punishment, frankly, upon the Jewish people there in Judah by the hand of the Babylonians. And the Babylonians came and they conquered uh, the Israelites there in Judah and they were hauled away, basically, prisoner over a course of three successive military campaigns. The first one came in 605 B.C. That's when Daniel got carried off. So Daniel finds himself now living in Babylon. He's been there since 605 B.C. The second one was 597 B.C., and then the final conquest was in 586 B.C. So Daniel's in Babylon. Now Babylon has been conquered by the Medes and Persians, so he's still in Babylon, but it's uh, under the reign of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, who was in the lineage of the Medes, who was the king over the realm of the Chaldeans, the Babylonians. Does that all make sense now? Still clear? Okay. Let me go through that again. No. Okay, good. So we're at 539 BC. He was, Daniel got carried off in 605 BC. He's been there for about 66 years. Okay. And Daniel says, you know, I remember Jeremiah said that we're going to be here for about 70 years. Now, Daniel, if you read the book of Daniel, you'd say, Daniel's a pretty good guy understanding prophecy. Yeah. You know, if we're going to look to a model of how we read prophecy, there's probably no better example than Daniel, right? So if I say, how does Daniel read prophecy? That's how I want to read prophecy. Daniel read prophecy like this. Jeremiah says we'll be in Babylon for about 70 years. Now that's an allegory. So what that means is 70 times that this or that or... What does Daniel, how does Daniel interpret it? 70 years. Okay? So it's not always. I mean, there are some, you know, there's some pictures in Revelation and stuff. And it's not always, but wherever possible, we interpret this as literally as possible. So Daniel says, I've been here for 66 years. Jeremiah said we're going to be here for 70 years. So it's time to start praying. That's the bottom line. It's time to start praying. That's, that's verses 1 through 3. Then, J then Daniel prays, and I love this. We won't read it in the interest of time. He prays repentance for the nation, repentance for himself. He acknowledges the, the awesome sovereignty of God, all of that, and, um, and then asks the Lord for petition in light of his mercy, and that brings us up to verse 20, okay? So 
Daniel chapter 9, verse 20. Now, while I was speaking, he says, praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yes, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening offering. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, for you, were, you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. So, Gabriel gets, so Daniel prays because he knows that 70 years is about to be accomplished here pretty soon. He prays repentance, he prays acknowledgement of the glory of God, and he prays then supplication, Lord, please have your way with us. Please carry this, this thing out. And in response to that, Gabriel is dispatched to come personally to Daniel to give him skill to understand. And now Daniel writes that down, so that skill is therefore now available to us. Okay? Fair enough? Everybody still with it so far? Okay, good. Here's what he says, and this, I believe, is extremely fascinating. Verse 24. This is what Gabriel says. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, to anoint and to anoint the most holy. Now, what in the world is he talking about? Seventy weeks. Now, Nate pointed out on Wednesday, this is better translated 70 sevens or 70 groups of seven, okay? We think of our, our mathematical brains run in, uh, in tens, right? Mathematically, we, as, in modern day, we think of tens, right? In the Hebrew mindset, it was in sevens right? The week is in sevens. You know, the Sabbath, uh, the Sabbath, the land was to get a Sabbath rest every seven years. You know, the year of Jubilee was every 49 years, seven sevens, and all of that. So seven was a big number in terms of, you know, kind of how they thought through life and seasons and that sort of thing. And so 70 sevens are determined for the people of Israel. For, it says, for your people. Who are Daniel's people? the Jewish people. Seventy-sevens are determined for your people. Now, if I said seventy-sevens, what is seventy times seven? This is why I asked. This is why I took a pause here for a second to walk. 490 years. 490 years, okay. 490 years are determined for your people for your holy city, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Now, let me just ask you this. You know, we talked about the pieces of the puzzle. You know, we got the news, and we got the uh, Bible, and, you know, all of this. Have these things been accomplished yet? Is there an end of transgression and an end of sins? Yeah. Maybe yours, but not mine, right? This is yet future. This is yet future. And so what's going to be accomplished is all of this stuff 
at the end of a 490-year period, 70 groups of sevens. But we know that that hasn't happened yet. So how does that play out? He, said, he goes on. He says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. The street shall be built again and the wall even in troublesome times. Okay, we're going to do, we, went through, we made it through 70 times 7. That's 490. All right. Everybody with me now? All right. As my teachers used to say, put on your thinking caps, right? Why we didn't have them on when we walked in the room, I don't know. But for now, just put on your thinking caps. 62 plus 7. 69, right. Now, we said 70 weeks, 70 sevens is 490, right? Now, if you wanted to come up with 69 sevens, there's a couple ways you could do that. Longhand. Or you could say, I think that's one less seven than 77s. And that would get us to 483. This is important. Okay. 483. So 483 years is what we're talking about, the seven weeks and the 62 weeks. This is why I want everybody to have a Bible to read this with me, because if you, if you go in your eyes and in your ears and in your heart, I believe it, it sticks better. So in all seriousness, you got seven weeks and 62 weeks. That's 69 weeks. That's 483 years. Well, what's the deal with 483 years? From the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince. Who's Messiah the Prince? Jesus Christ. From that span of time is 483 years. Everybody got that? The gap from the command to go forth to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, Jesus Christ, is 483 years. Now, what are we referring to the command to restore and build Jerusalem? Remember, Daniel's a captive in Babylon, okay? Now, you remember when Cyrus came in, when the, when the Medes and Persians came in and conquered Bab Babylon, conquered the, the Babylonians the night of Belshazzar's feast, the handwriting on the wall and all that, remember that? After that, Cyrus reigns. We read about it in Ezra chapter 1. And he says, anybody that wants to go back to Jerusalem, have at it. But he specified to build the temple. Ezra chapter 1. Okay? And we heard about this uh, Wednesday before last when Nate talked through the book of Ezra. But there was a little bit of, you know, they kind of did that for a little bit. And then there was some pause and blah, 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 and back and forth. And then we read again in Ezra chapter 6 that Darius says... No, you guys need to, it's okay to rebuild the temple. The guys that are, that are arguing against you, they need to be left alone. As a matter of fact, let their tax dollars go towards, uh, instead of coming back to Persia and back then to there. You just use your tax dollars to, to do that there. That's to rebuild the temple. And then again, we read in Ezra chapter 7 that Artaxerxes basically did the same thing. So you got three declarations in the book of Ezra, but those are to go back and rebuild the temple. The temple. 
What's our verse in Daniel say? And this is why I want us to understand how specific I believe the Lord is. He says, Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem, well, that sounds more like the city, right? Now, Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 5, Nehemiah asks the king, quote, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. We think of Nehemiah as rebuilding the wall, right? Which he did. But his, and the idea was the wall was the, the beginning of the rebuilding of the city. Fair enough? So, if you'll indulge me, Back to Daniel, know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem, I believe that's the day that, Nehemiah, that the king told Nehemiah, go. All right, Nehemiah chapter 2. Now that day, again, people smarter than I have gone through this. Um, this was first postulated by a guy named Sir Robert Anderson in a book, The Coming Prince. This was back in the 1800s. It's been tweaked and blah, 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 blah. The, probably the most accurate and uh, recent revision is a guy, if you're so interested, uh, Dr. Harold Honer, H-O-E-H-N-E-R. And the book is called, I believe, The Chronology, The Chronological Aspects of the Life of Christ. Okay? So that's more than you want to know. I understand. Uh, but anyway, he says that that command to Nehemiah was on March the 5th, 444 B.C. Okay? You can study different things in history and kind of piece it together, and that would be most likely March 5th, 444 B.C. And then if you look at the Jewish calendar, it's got 360 days, and if you add a little bit for leap years and make allowances for this and that, and to be fair, you know, that's why I say the guy's smarter than I have come up with this. This guy, Harold Honer, says, if you fast forward 69 weeks or 483 years, guess what you get? You get March 30th, 33 AD. Now, if he's accurate, what happened on March 30th, 33 AD? Messiah the Prince rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. Messiah the Prince. So, know therefore and understand. God wanted Daniel to understand. Remember, Gabriel said, I'm coming forth to give you skill to understand. And then he tells him to write, because he writes it down, right? What's it given to us? To understand. He says, know therefore and understand. God wants us to understand these things. And you know, at the beginning I said, there's basically two ways to, re to look at prophecy. And honestly, the folks that look at prophecy from an allegory standpoint, and you can check me on this, more often than not, if you say, what about that 70 weeks? I remember one time a guy who was a pastor of a very prominent denomination who tends to read prophecy allegorically, and this guy was getting his PhD in that denomination at the time. And I asked him, I said, how do you guys, and I was not being argumentative at all. I've learned, for the most part, uh, that you just don't, don't do it. Don't do it. I've, the Lord's, 
if you've known me for any number of years, you know that the Lord's continuing to do that work in my heart. But anyway, that's another story. But I remember asking this guy, so what do you guys do with the 70 weeks of Daniel thing? The guy's a pastor in church. The guy's getting his PhD. You know what he said to me? You might want to guess what he said to me? Huh? Huh? Look like Gomer Pyle. You know, you ever look at Gomer Pyle's mouth? You know, it's a circle. It's a perfect circle. Huh? Huh? Right? And I mean, no disrespect, but the point is, this is here. God wants us to know and understand. It's here. It's here for us. That from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem, March 5th, 444 B.C., to Messiah the Prince, March 30th, 33 A.D., was 483 years. If this guy's correct, to the day. I tend to believe that. I tend to believe that because of the rest of the way Scripture is written. Does that make sense? So, that's the first 49 years, the first 49, uh, I'm sorry, that's the first 483 years, the first 69 weeks, right? Because he says, there shall be seven weeks and 62 weeks. That's, but wait a minute, I thought we're talking about 70 weeks. Get this? So after the 69th week, 483 years, we come to March 30th, 33 AD. What's up with that last week? Well, after the 62 weeks, because we read in verse 25, we're talking about the 7 plus the 62. So after that 62 or the 7 plus 62 or the 69, Messiah is going to be cut off, but not for himself. What happened to the Messiah after he rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday? He was cut off, right? The, the Hebrew word is also translated destroyed. So you got Jesus coming in at the prescribed date on Palm Sunday, and after that, he's cut off. Is he cut off because of something he did? No. no, he's cut off, but not for himself. Who's he cut off for? You and me. You and me. He's cut off, but not for himself. And then, the people of the prince who is to come. Now, we've got a small letter P, prince, that's contrasted to Messiah the Prince in verse 25, capital P, right? So we got a different P here, P Prince. And the people of the Prince who is to come. Now, who do you think might be the Prince who is to come? The Antichrist. The Antichrist. His people shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end of it shall be a flood till the, war, till the end of the war of desolations are determined. What did his people do in 70 AD? I'm going to go out on a limb and call the Romans in 70 AD who destroyed the temple, the people of the prince who is to come, the people of, of the Antichrist, the people of the demonic forces of evil, right? the Romans in 70 AD. Well, we still haven't answered that question. What about that last week, that last seven-year period? Then, verse 27, then he, 
shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. Okay, now wait a minute. I told you to put your thinking caps on, pretend you're in school for a second, making you do complex math like 62 plus 7, right? Now I'm going to ask you to do complex grammar. Yeah, <laughs> this is too much. This is too much, right? We did complex math, 62 plus 7 equals 69. Now we're going to do complex grammar, okay? You got a personal pronoun. Okay, everybody get back up out of, your, out of the floor. Personal pronoun. He. Okay. How do you identify the identity of the personal pronoun? You go back to the most recently identified person. And ideally, if the personal pronoun is a he, you're looking for the most previously identified masculine person. Everybody still with me? Okay. Who is the he? The prince who is to come. Right? So, after that 69 weeks, after that 483 years, after Jesus Christ presents himself on Palm Sunday, and after he is cut off, uh, but not for himself, and then, and then after the people of the prince who is to come destroy the city, and then at some point in time, there's going to be another week. And he... The Antichrist shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. What do we see in the book of Revelation? The Antichrist is going to come, I believe, immediately following the rapture of the church. And he's going to establish one of the ways that those who remain will know that he, this guy is the Antichrist is that he's going, to con, he's going to make a covenant of peace with the Jewish people. They'll have their temple rebuilt, I believe literally, the Antichrist will uh, form a covenant with these people for one week. But notice this. But in the middle of the week, so you got a seven-year period. So in the middle of that, three and a half years into that, he, who are we talking about? He, the Antichrist, shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wings of abominations shall be one who makes desolate even until the consummation which is determined is poured out on the desolate. So what does all that mean? Well, what all that means, I believe, is that after the rapture of the church, we're going to have that, we're going to, well, those who remain will be watching from heaven, but those who remain will go through a seven-year tribulation period that we see uh, very detailed through the book of Revelation. All right? And that seven-year period is the 70th week of Daniel. The 69 weeks have happened. They, they concluded on Palm Sunday. But the 70th week is yet to happen. And the 70th week, during the middle of that 70th week, The Antichrist, who made a deal with the Jewish people, he's going to be an agent of peace. During the middle of that, he's going to reveal his true colors. He's going to go into the temple and desecrate it and uh, demand to be worshipped. And interestingly, Matthew chapter 24, verses 15 and 16, Jesus referred to this. Jesus himself said this, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, this is what he's talking about, standing in the holy place, 
And then Jesus himself says, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. So what Jesus is saying is, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel. So it, during the time of Jesus, is it past tense or future tense? It's future. Because Jesus is telling his disciples, i.e. the Jewish people, when you see this happen, right? If I say, when I have lunch today, am, ta- am I talking about a future event or a past event? I'm talking about a future event. When Jesus says, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, he says, that's the midway point of the tribulation. And the second half of the tribulation is even uglier than the first. So if you're on earth at the time of the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, let him who reads understand. Then flee. Then flee. It's going to be crazy. Head for the mountains. So, that's the 70 weeks of Daniel. Now, again, I encourage you, you know, the Bereans, Acts chapter 17, verse 11. The Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians, uh, Paul tells us, because they received the word with all readiness, and they examined the scriptures daily to see if these things are true. I encourage you, don't take my word for it, but study these things. Study these things. And uh, I believe it plays out, um, the more you study it, I think the more crystallized your brain will be on it. So what do we do with this? Well, so if what we're saying is true, Jesus came into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, March the, I'm sorry, April, I'm sorry, March the 30th, 33 A.D., Jesus rides into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. What's he doing that day? He's Messiah the Prince. According to Daniel, he's declaring himself Messiah the Prince. Look over to Luke now. Flip over to Luke and we'll stay there the rest of our time. Chapter 19. Starting in verse 28. So now think of everything I just said as background information to help us get the right setting for what we will read, what we, what's been familiar to us. We've read it before, but, but now with this idea that Daniel perhaps prophesied this very day that Messiah the Prince would present himself, what's Jesus doing? Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 28. When he said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. So he's on his way to Jerusalem. And it came to pass, when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mountain of, called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, where as you enter you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, Why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, Why are you loosing the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of him. So in light of what we've read about Daniel's prophecy, 
to me, it's less mysterious that this seems so deliberate. I mean, think about your life. I mean, I, should, I talked about going to lunch, to, you know, having lunch today. Well, really, like, you know, if the Lord wills, we'll go to lunch and we'll, you know, we'll hang out here for a little bit. And then I think this is going to happen and that's going to happen. And, you know, much less if I talk about something's going to happen three days from now. You know, the weather might do this and we might do that. And there's some events going to happen here. And hopefully there's no, you know, cyber attacks that's going to disrupt our lives. And hopefully this and, you know, everything's going to kind of, you know, it, there's a lot of variables, Right? There's a lot of variables in life. There's no variables in this life that Jesus is talking about. He said, by the way, we're on our way to Jerusalem. I'm headed to Jerusalem. Hey, you guys, go over here and get the donkey. And, uh, or the colt. I'm sorry, go over here and get the colt. And by the way, if somebody asks you, hey, what are you doing? Say, the master has need of it. You think Jesus maybe knew that somebody's going to say, hey, what are you doing? Yeah. yeah, so when they say, hey, what are you doing? This is what you tell them. And by the way, if you owned that colt, right, and you see two strangers come and untie it and start to take it away, and you say, what are you doing? And they say, oh, the master has need of it. Are you going to say, oh, my bad? (laughs) No. You're going to say, what? Right? But this is all very prescribed. It's very controlled. There are no variables in the sovereignty of God. Get that. There are no variables in the sovereignty of God. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the fulfillment of prophecy. So, it goes on, verse 35. And then they brought him to Jesus, the colt, and they threw their clothes on the colt, and they sat Jesus on him. All right? So, this would be a sign of royalty. And as they went, many spread their clothes on the road. Interestingly, interesting. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Zechariah was specific to say it was a colt, that this is the king coming in, and he's going to present himself as king. And then furthermore, spreading the garments on the ground was like a declaration of royalty. 2 Kings chapter 9 and 13, when uh, Jehu was anointed king, says, Then each man hastened to take his garment and put it under him on the top of the steps, and they blew the trumpets, saying, Jehu is king. So spreading the garments on the ground, right, for the kind of like rolling out, the, we might say rolling out the red carpet, right? They're doing this because this man, God, the Messiah, is declaring himself to be the king. Now, as Nate pointed out on Wednesday, how many times we read in the Gospels, Jesus said, my my time's not yet come, right? He heals somebody, and he says, hey, don't tell anybody yet, right? And we see, if you think about it, if you think about the context of the Gospels and the context of what we just read about in Daniel, this is a very different presentation of Jesus than what we've seen up to this point in, in the Gospels. He is like... I'm the king, right? He's declaring it. Go ahead and go ahead and throw your clothes. Go ahead and grab that colt, just like Zechariah said hundreds of years ago. Go ahead and spread your garments on the ground. I'm the king. He's very bold, very bold. 
And it goes on. Verse 37. Then, as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now, Psalm 118, this is a quote from Psalm 118, which all the Jewish people would have known to be a Messianic psalm, right? Got to keep in mind, the Jewish people grow up in Jewish culture. They know all of, you know, you think about, sometimes we forget how much of like our culture is a familiar backdrop for us from infancy, really, right? I mean, we grow up knowing I don't know, I can't even think of, you know, we grow up knowing certain music, or we grow up knowing certain TV shows, or whatever like that. Tracy and I are always, you know, because our kids grew up in a vacuum, intentionally, you know, we're always telling them, you know, oh yeah, you know, that was Welcome Back Cotter, who, you know, or that was the same guy that was in this, or, you know, we, we and so, so we're like, oh yeah, that was familiar to us, we grew up with that, right? Well, I think I just divided the room. It's not worth looking up. I'll, I'll tell you when something's worth looking up. That's not worth looking up. But anyway, these people, the Jewish people, they would have all grown up knowing Psalm 118 is all about the Messiah. Psalm 118 is all about the Messiah. Hosanna, save now, is what the, Psalm 118 says, which the other word is Hosanna. We see that elsewhere in the, in the Gospels. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray. Send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. A quote from Psalm 118, verses 26. Verses 25 and 26. So what do you have here? You got a guy coming into town, riding on a colt, prescribed in Zechariah chapter 9, on the day prescribed by Daniel chapter 9, declaring himself to be the king and allowing them to sing this messianic psalm to them, right? Receiving their worship, you know, in the book of uh, Revelation, right? John comes face to face with one of the angels and he starts to, you know, he's overwhelmed, he bows down, right? What's the angel say? Don't do that. Only God can be worshipped. Don't bow down before me. Only God can be worshipped. And so here now you have the Messiah coming in. You guys want to worship me? Have at it. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What's Jesus saying? I'm the Messiah. I'm the King. I'm God in the flesh. I'm here on the right day. I'm here very deliberately. I'm here on the, don on the colt the foal of a donkey. I'm here letting you uh, sing praises to me and letting you lay your garments down before me. And if that's not enough proof that this is exactly what he was doing, sometimes the best confirmation is the controversy that it brings. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Now, why did the Pharisees not like this? Because they knew exactly what was going on. They knew exactly what was going on. Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you, if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Jesus knew he was Messiah. And he knew that he was going to be praised and worshipped as such. And he knew it was going to be on that day. And now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it. 
saying, if you, had only, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they're hidden from your eyes. Jesus earlier in the book of Luke lamented over Jerusalem with great compassion. I love this verse. He said, verse 13, verse thir- chapter 13, verse 34. He said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. That's the heart of God. Somehow, in the context of his amazing sovereignty that has no variables, he allows us free choice to accept or reject him. And even toward the city Jerusalem that he had such great love and compassion for, He says, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. You know, he desires to meet us where we're at. Like a hen that just gathers her little brood under her wings to protect us, to guide us, to nurture us, to to be there for us, to die for us. That's the heart of Jesus. That's the heart of Jesus. Notice also he says here in verse 42, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace. In this your day, could it be, and I'm speculating a little bit, I'll grant you that, because day, you know, sometimes it means like the season of life. But I believe in this setting, perhaps he's talking about the day that Daniel prophesied about in chapter 9. The day, the the 483rd year having been completed there on April the 30th, 33 AD. If only you had known, especially you, even you, especially in this, your day, the things that make for your peace. But now they're hidden from your eyes. Some things are hidden from the eyes of sinful man. For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side. Is that going to happen to the nation of, uh, to the city of Jerusalem here? Future from this writing? Yes. Happened in 70 AD. The Romans came in, destroyed the city, the people of the prince who is to come, Right? For days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. You say, wow, that sounds like another one of those specific prophecies. These people, your enemies are going to come in, and they're going to leave not one stone upon another. Now, historians tell us that when the Romans came in in 70 AD, they burned everything out, right? You know, the rulers, I believe, if I got the story right, they told them don't burn the city, but, you know, things happened and somebody threw a torch and burned the city, burned the temple, right? And there's all this gold in the temple. And as, this, as the legend or the story goes, as history goes, there's all this gold in the temple and it ran down beneath the cracks of the stones, right? Now, if you're a good looting Roman, 
right? Do you want to say, eh, we'll get the gold next time? You going to do that? No. What are you going to do to get the gold that melted down and got stuck between all the rocks? You might be tempted by your greed and your ability to loot. You might be tempted to leave not one stone upon another. Right? The Word of God is very specific. The prophetic fulfillment is very specific. Daniel knew that, and he gives us that insight to understand. Not one stone was left upon another. So, God amazingly knows the big picture issues of prophecy and its fulfillment in history. Right? He knew what day he was going to come to Jerusalem. He knew that before the foundation of time. He knew we'd be here today reading these words. He knew that before the foundation of time. He knew that on that day he was going to come in and present himself king. He knew that before the foundation of time. But what's really amazing is that the God who knows all of that and who has prescribed all of that with such specificity also knows the number of hairs on our head. He's the same one who said these words in Matthew chapter 6. I love these words. You don't have to turn there if you don't want. Just soak them in. He says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is, life, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature. Can I just encourage us as, as we wrap up this morning? The same God who knew he would come on that day, prophesied hundreds of years before by the prophet Daniel, according to the terms prescribed by Zechariah, according to all of the elements of Jewish culture and Jewish history, According to the words of the prophetic messianic Psalm 118, the same God who did all of that is the God who says, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about your life. I take care of the birds, right? Does God take care of the birds? Totally. God takes care of the birds. And by the way, you are much more valuable than a bird. Praise the Lord. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, and this to me is the therefore of these words, do not worry saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things, but seek first, what? The kingdom of God. And his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. God loves us.
God loves us amazingly beyond what we could even fathom. And as we navigate these challenges of this life, again, you've heard me say this before, I, I, I see some of the things you guys carry, that we all carry. The burdens of this life are heavy. But they're also, we also need to keep in mind that these things are carried by the one who has fulfilled history with such specificity that that should bring comfort to our own hearts. God knows what you're worried about. God knows what weighs heavy. And God knows what it is in each and every one of us. Way more than I could ever. I mean, I, I feel like I just have a glimpse of it. But God knows. God knows better than you do. And he wants to bring comfort and encouragement because you are much more valuable than a bird. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you're so good to us. We thank you that you fulfill the pages of history with such clarity that we see the puzzle put together with amazing, amazing care and concern that you have for your people that you want us to see and understand, that you want us to be able to discern, and you also want us to be comforted. So, Lord, thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your word. The lamp into our feet and light into our path and your spirit who guides us into all truth. Lord, help these things to sink deep into our heart that we can walk, that we can walk with you in the comfort of your spirit that our lives would bring glory and honor to you and to you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Everybody have an awesome, awesome week.